Well, good morning, Moberly Marshall family. I hope everybody's doing well today as we're nearing the end of a school year and uh, getting ready for summer. And I'm really thankful uh, to be with you today. Uh, Pastor Jeffrey began his sabbatical this week, and he will be taking some time to spend with the Lord and with his family over the next six weeks. And I just want to ask you to do a favor. Don't contact him. Um, no, seriously, if you do, just tell him you're praying for him. But uh, don't try to bring up things. It's hard for a pastor to really get away from his congregation because, he, you know, they just continue to care. And sabbatical is the time for him to pull back and just rest. And so uh, if you do have a need, you have a wonderful team here that can take care of any needs that come up. And he'll come back refreshed and ready to, to share with you. Well, my name is Greg Zachary, and I did get to serve here in Marshall for a period of time as we were launching the church in the convention center. So it's always great to come back and see people that I've never met before because you're growing and you're reaching out in the community. And so it's great to see some of new people today. And I'm glad to get to bring God's word to you today. Well, we're right in the middle of baseball season, and I'm a baseball fan. We, uh, our family got to go and see a Texas Ranger game. This week, uh, sadly, they lost to the Braves their second game, but uh, it was a fun time. And there's some things that have changed in baseball this year. The size of the bases are a little bit larger, and now there's a pitch clock so that the pitchers have to pitch a little sooner, and it's, it's made the game a little faster. But one thing that has not changed in baseball this year is the size of home plate. And as I was thinking about that, I thought about a great, college coach named John Scolionis, and John coached college baseball for 43 years. He wasn't well known uh, necessarily for his teams or his school, but he was a most respected coach. And one time he was asked to speak at the American Coaches Association convention located in Nashville. In fact, it was 1996. He was 78 years old, and they asked him to speak. And so he shuffled onto the stage wearing polyester, dark pants, and a light shirt. But hanging around his neck by a string was home plate. And so he just began to share his speech. And, of course, everybody's thinking, what is this guy doing? And uh, what's, what's it with home plate hanging around his neck? And he, about 25 minutes into the speech, said, now some of you may think I've lost it. I'm crazy. Uh, maybe I should be in Camarillo, which was a, a mental hospital. He said, but no, I may be old, but I'm not crazy. And he went on to begin to tell the story about home plate. He said, I've come today because I want to share with you baseball people uh, a lesson that we can learn from home plate. And so he looked out into the crowd. There were about 4,000 there that day. And he said, how many of you are little league coaches? Raise your hand. And hands begin to shoot up across the auditorium. And he said, little league coaches, how wide is home plate in Little League? And hesitantly, almost with a question, they said, 17 inches? And he goes, that's right, it's 17 inches. And then he looked out and he said, how many Babe Ruth coaches do we have? Here in East Texas, I don't think we call it Babe Ruth, but that might be like our Dixie League. And uh, coaches raised their hands and he goes, you Babe Ruth coaches, how wide is home plate in the Babe Ruth League? And they said, 17 inches. And then he said, and how many high school coaches do we have? And hands begin to shoot up. And he said, you high school coaches, how wide is home plate in high school? 17 inches. And then he said, and how many college coaches do we have? 
and hands shot up, and he says, college coaches, how wide is home plate? And now with a little more confidence, 17 inches. And then he said, and how many minor league coaches do we have in the room? And home plate is how wide? 17 inches. How many major league coaches do we have? And how wide is home plate in the major leagues? And every one of them said, 17 inches. So he says, and what do they do with a big league pitcher who can't throw a ball over 17 inches? And he paused. And he said, they send him to Pocatello. And everybody laughed. He says, what they don't say is this. They don't say, ah, that's okay, Johnny. You can't hit a 17-inch target. We'll make it 18 inches or 19 inches or 20 inches. And if you can't hit that, just let us know, and we can make it wider still, say, 25 inches. And he paused. He said, coaches, what do we do when our best player shows up late to practice? When our team facial hair policy calls for no hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What if he gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable or we, do we change the rules to fit him? Do we widen home plate? Well, the chuckles have faded by this point. And he took that home plate that he was wearing and he turned it around to himself and he took a marker and he drew a door and two windows. And he turned it back around to the audience and he said, this is the problem in our homes today. Our marriages, the way we parent our children, with our discipline. We don't teach accountability to our kids. There are no consequences when they fail to meet the standards that we set up in our homes. What do we do? We widen home plate. And then he asked the question, where is this getting us? There was silence. Then... He took the plate and he added to the top a small flag. And he said, this is the problem in our schools today. The quality of education is going downhill fast. Teachers have been stripped of the tools they need to educate and discipline our young people. We're allowing others to widen home plate. Where is this getting us? Silence. He took the plate again, and in place of the flag, he placed a cross. He said, and this is the problem in the church where powerful people in positions of authority have taken advantage of young children, only to have such atrocities swept under the rug for years. Our church leaders are widening home plate. If I'm lucky... Coach Scalinus concluded, you'll remember one thing from this old coach today. It is this. If we fail to hold ourselves accountable to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to the same standards, if we're unwilling and unable to provide consequences, when they do not meet the standard, and if our schools and our churches and our government fail to hold themselves accountable to those they serve, there's one thing to look forward to. And with that, he took 
the home plate. He turned it around to the black side, and he simply said, dark days ahead. You know, as I recounted that story, that was over 25 years ago that he gave that speech. And how prophetic he was as we look at our society today and we see darkness, don't we? We see darkness in marriages. We see darkness in our schools. We see darkness in our government. Uh, sadly, sometimes we even see darkness in our churches and, and the way that leaders have uh, behaved. But this problem that we see that begins with the family is not a new thing. In fact, as we go back to Genesis 3, we see the first dysfunction in the family with Adam and Eve. And it happened when Adam failed to take responsibility. He and then blamed Eve for his failure of responsibility. We saw a great dysfunction in marriage, right? And then just a chapter later, we see the first human murder by one brother who kills another. And as we continue to read through Genesis, we see it read like a really bad soap opera, a modern-day soap opera, where the Israelite families had families where children were apparently even cursing their parents and hitting their parents. And so God gave a command to the father and mother and gave strict consequences for those who did harm or dishonor their parents. So this is the situation we see today. We see children aren't valued. We see often the parents aren't valued. We see, as a general matter, older people in our culture are not valued. Marriage and family isn't valued. And parental rights aren't valued. Read it in some states, a, a, a child could have an abortion and the parents not be notified. In 6,000 schools nationwide, rules have been put in place to prevent parents from being notified if their children identify as a different gender in the classroom. And so more generally, we've seen examples of children who ignore, dishonor, disobey, and just disrespect their parents. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, he writes... After he talks about the power of the gospel, the deterioration of a society that fails to acknowledge God, who fails to acknowledge the God who is. And he lists the deterioration of morals and values and marriage and relationships. And right in the middle of that, he talks about and mentions one of those things would be disobedience to parents. Later, as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, he said in 1 Timothy 3.1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and there it is, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. That's where we are today. Hubert Humphrey, a former vice president, said this, the moral test of a nation is how it treats those who are in the dawn of life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. And America is failing that moral test in every way. So, so that's not very encouraging, is it, today? But here's the good news I want to bring to you today. 
in the midst of the darkness of our society today, in the midst of what's happening in government, in schools, in companies, we, the church, we have the opportunity to be an outpost of heaven here on earth. We have the opportunity to be able to be a distinct people in how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we honor God and how we honor one another. And that brings us to the fifth command. Now, before we get into the command, I want to just do a little recap for you because you may have missed a Sunday or maybe you haven't uh, got to really think about it, but let's just put this into focus. So as we look at the structure of the Ten Commandments, commands one through me, one through three have a strictly Godward focus. And as you look at those commands, they focus exclusively on the relationship of God with man. So we see in command one, you'll have no other gods before me. There is no other God. And yet men will tend to make a God of things, people, places, or even in our culture, self. Secondly, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And, and this command is that we can make idols of anything. We can make good things, ultimate things, and therefore they become an idol in our life. And number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And simply there, we are to give honor to the name of God, to the God who is. In command four, we begin to see a transition where there's still this very Godward focus that begins towards turns towards man. And that's the commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it's a gift that God's given. It's a gift that few of us have probably practiced for most of our life, but it's that opportunity to cease working, to cease productivity, and just be with God. Just be, not do. But then as you look at the middle of that, verse 10, it begins to turn manward where it says, own it, you shall not do any work. You your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner within your gate. So he says, as you practice the Sabbath, extend that same thing to those in your life. Son, daughter, servant, cattle, even the stranger. Now, I thought it was strange when I read that. There was nothing about the wife in that passage. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe that's because the wife cooked Sunday dinner. Just kidding. Um, that's not it at all. Um, but, but we see this fact that our relationship with God and how we worship Him also has ramifications for how we relate to those in our life, our family. And so we see in the final five commands that this Godward focus, how we relate to God, is then to be played out in how we relate to man. We see a manward focus. And so we see in the command that we're going to read today, honor your father and mother, and it expresses the priority of family and parents and children in God's order of things. And then we see number six, you shall not murder, as we see the value of life and respect and the sanctity of life in God's eyes. And then you shall not steal the value of property and the respect for, for ownership of property, recognizing God's the owner of everything. And then we see you shall not bear false witness, the value of truth and integrity and honesty in our horizontal relationships, again, that flows out of the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And then finally, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house or wife or male servant or female servant, ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then 
And we see that when we have this contentment in our relationship with God, it'll lead us to not covet people or things uh, that he places in our life. So these first four commands are vertical. And I thought it was interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 6 follows Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 is the second time these Ten Commandments are listed. And remember, these commandments are not rules to limit our life, but these are the guidelines that God has given for our lives to flourish, for our lives to be all they were meant to be. Sometimes we get that mixed up and we think, oh, these are just to restrict us and keep us from doing things. But no, what they are is, is a people that are rightly related to God who follow God's design will experience the life that God wants for them. And so in Deuteronomy 6, following this record of the Ten Commandments, we see that Moses wrote these words. He says, now this is the commandment. He just wrote them. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commands me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going to possess it. And he puts the focus back on God, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your sons, your sons' sons. We see the generational extension of this blessing by keeping all statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land that flows with milk and honey. And then he gives this great Shema in in the Hebrew. It's this great commandment. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. How? with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's right. With your whole being. Uh, God is worthy to be loved because we have been recipients of his love. These are the people that had just received the redemption of God. They were delivered from slavery. They had been provided for in the wilderness. And so we see this, this response to a God who loves us so much. But then in the second six commands, we see the horizontal. It doesn't stop with that, does it? It means it has an everyday effect. It has a bearing on how I love my wife, how I treat my children, how I treat you, how I treat my neighbor. And so when Jesus was asked about this by the Pharisees, they were trying to troop him up and they were saying, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And said, so here's how Jesus replied. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the great, and this is the first commandment. But then notice he added, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And he was quoting Leviticus 19.18 that said, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your sons or your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord. And so we see that this is not just a command for those who lived in days before Christ. But Christ says, this is still God's design. This is still God's plan. And so we want to look at this passage that speaks to us as families today. You see, the family is the place that we can disciple those for Christ most effectively. Before God created the government, or before God created the school, 
the first institution he created was the family. It happened in the very beginning when he created and brought Adam, uh, created Adam and then brought Eve, and he formed the first home. And so it's not your pastor, it's not your youth pastor, it's not your kid's teacher that has the responsibility to disciple your children. It's us, it's parents. And the home and the family is a laboratory that we give our children to learn how to love God and love their neighbor. If children don't learn in the home to love their neighbor, to love those that God puts in their life, they won't know how to do it at school. They won't know how to do it at work. They won't know how to do it as they go out into life. And here's the truth. When you take God out of the equation, or more specifically, when we take God out of any relationship, we will inevitably have chaos, which is what we're seeing in our world today. So let's see, as we look at this fifth commandment, um, what is God's plan? What is, what is it He wants to say to us today about honoring parents, about the family, about our responsibility to this command? We read it, but let's just read it again. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That word honor. That's a powerful word, isn't it? That's a weighty word. It's a word that is not just used in any context, but it's used at a place to give precedence or to give, uh, take someone seriously. When we honor someone, we take them seriously. And this is a verb that is used both of how we respond to God and how we respond to those that God places in our life. And so the basis of honor comes from this fact. We... Each one of us were created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created us, male and female. And therefore, because God, of his character, of his attributes, of his being, deserves great worth, great majesty, glory. This Hebrew word is a word that means weightiness or heaviness. It can be translated glorify, and it should be natural for us to give glory to God. That should be the most natural thing we do, and yet because of sin, we don't. We don't naturally give glory to God. Therefore, we have the instruction, we have the teaching. Therefore, that's one of the reasons I love Sunday morning, because Sunday morning we have those that lead us to lift up praise to God. We were able to do that this morning in the songs that we sung. I appreciate Haley and the team that leads in worship each Sunday. Thank you guys for just being prepared and coming not to entertain us, but to invite us into the presence of God. That's what we do when we come to worship. Because why? Because God is worthy of that. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 96. He said in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord. What kind of song? A new song. Don't come in here just mouthing words. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Oh, we never get tired of talking about what God's done for us. The gospel is new every day. Thank you, Haley, for reminding us of that this morning in our worship time. 
Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. Why? Because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless. They're idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his heavens, or in his sanctuary. And listen to these final two verses. Ascribe to the Lord. O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, the glory that is due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. You see, we, are, we have the opportunity as we come to remember the greatness of our God, to remember the holiness of our God, to remember the power of our God, the knowledge of our God, the unchanging character of our God. And we give praise through our lips, but not just by our words, but we praise God by our actions, by the way we live our lives. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your produce. It reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether you eat or whether you drink, Whatever you do, do it how? Do it to the glory of God. Like all of our life is lived to give glory to God. And so if we fail to honor God, then we're going to struggle to show dignity and honor to those that are created in His likeness. So the, the command is honor the basis of that is a relationship with God that we honor Him, that we recognize Him as our Creator and the Creator of a mother and a father. And so then we begin to extend that honor. And the first place that we extend that honor is the home. Children learn about God and others best in the context where there's a father and a mother who loves God, who loves their children, and who teach the children what it means to know God. And so if you're a parent this morning or even a grandparent, we have to ask the question, how is my relationship with God? If my kids are struggling, how am I doing? How am I doing uh, spending time with Him? How am I doing with time in His Word? How am I doing in my involvement, my attitude towards His bride, the church? By the way I spend money, do they see worshiping, praying, and serving God in my life? Do they see me? giving Him glory. You see, honor is the governing principle for every human relationship. My daughter uh, graduated from da Dallas Baptist University. I went to East Texas Baptist University, and uh, I really thought that's where they should go, right? But she uh, said, Dad, that's where you went, but that's not where God's calling me. So she went to DBU, and she got a degree in uh, teaching, education. And after she graduated, she went to a school in the Fort Worth Independent School District, and she taught for two years. And she loved teaching, and even more than that, she loved students. Uh, she just prayed for those students. She, she, just, she loved them. They were, they were children. They were third grade one year and fifth grade the next year. But what she would always come and share with us is, but it's so frustrating, Mom and Dad because these kids are coming from homes where they're not loved. They're coming from homes where there is no respect. They're coming from homes where they may not even be getting fed regularly. They're coming from homes where many times they're abused. 
where they see their parents who are spaced out on drugs or they're absent. And she said, it's so hard to teach these kids because they have no respect. She wasn't upset with the kids, but she moaned the fact that they did not have a home that invested in them. And so today we see this struggle in our society, don't we? We see our schools that are struggling. And, you know, we've got some great schools here in East Texas, and I'm so thankful for that. But even our best schools are struggling with this very thing. I have a sister-in-law that's a teacher. I have a niece that's a teacher. I have two brothers that have been in education all their life. And I hear the same story no matter what school it is, is, you know, the kids that we struggle to teach are the kids that have not been taught in the home what it means to honor God or to honor even their parents. And this flies into the face of God's creation design. What does our government do to try to solve this problem? Well, maybe if we spend more money on education, if we have newer schools, if we have more technology, if we have you know, greater resources for the kids, and those are all needed. I'm not saying those are not needed in our schools. But if we do all of that and we fail to have homes that flourish, homes that teach honor for parents and teach honor for other human beings, we will continue to struggle. Warren Worsby said this about what does it mean to honor our parents. He says, to honor our parents means much more than simply to obey them. It means to show them respect and love, to care for them as long as they need us, and to seek to bring honor to them by the way we live. I was blessed in the first service for my wife to bring my mother over from Longview to, to be in the service uh, with us. And, uh, and I was just thinking about what a blessing I had growing up because I had a mom that honored her parents. And I saw that. I saw in their old age how she made sure their needs were met and how she would just praise them and encourage them. I had a father who is now in heaven with the Lord, but I saw my father take care of his parents and taking that struggle to move them. And I'm so thankful that I had that example in my life because, you know, that taught me a lot what it meant to respect people in general, people that I met, people that would struggle. And were my parents' parents perfect? Absolutely not. Were my parents perfect? No. Were we or are we perfect parents? Definitely not. But that's not the principle. The principle that's being taught here is that we extend honor because parents are God's agent. Parents were what God chose to give us life. And parents deserve the honor. So what do we do that practically? John Calvin said two things about this. He said there's something that we're commanded and there's also something that is forbidden. So what is commanded for us? What does this mean to honor our parents? First of all, it means to reverence. It means to just simply show respect as parents. Secondly, it means gratitude. It means being thankful. Uh, children today don't even realize that everything they have is a gift. And so uh, we take it for granted. But just be thankful. And in obedience, doing what is asked. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, there are limits. Certainly, if a parent is abusing a child or a parent is uh, encouraging a child to do anything that disobeys God, that's not it. But for the most part, we can obey our parents. And if we have a hard home life, 
we still can give honor where we, we honor where we can honor. We give thanks where we can give thanks. And we obey where we can obey. Parental authority is for a season, but parental honor is for a lifetime. The principle for families at every stage is honor. And so when we do this, we learn how to love our neighbor. When we teach our children respect and honor and love in the home, guess what? They learn to respect their friends on the playground. And when they learned this honor, they learned how to respect their teachers in school. And when they learned this honor, they learned how to respect their employer and their supervisors at work. And when we learned this honor, we learned how to respect those that God has placed in authority over us. Because you see, this honor starts with the authority of God. When we reject this, then we are rejecting all authority. So that's the command. The command is children. Honor your father and your mother. And what's the promise? The promise is that when we learn to do this, we discover a life that flourishes. Paul, as he, as he writes this command in Deuteronomy 5, 6, <clears throat> out of all the commands, this is the only command that comes with a promise. Let's look for a few minutes at the promise. First of all, let's look at what is not promised and what it is promised. When we get to this, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I can see how if a child obeys his parents, life is going to go generally well with them. And when a child doesn't obey their parents, it's probably not going to go so well. We see an example of that in Samuel, where Eli's sons lived lives of disrespect and disobedience. And when God recognized that, he came to Eli and he called this out. And he also called Eli out for not teaching his parent, his kids respect and, and honoring them above honoring the Lord. But I want you to look at the last part of this verse. He says, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I cut off your strength and the strength of your fathers and the house so that there will not be an old man in your house. So we see that, we get that. But the question is, what about children who have obeyed their parents? What about children who have honored their parents and they don't live a long life? That's the struggle. And um, I can think of people that were great kids. In fact, one of your members we were having dinner with last night and uh, Mary talked about a niece who's 15 years old and just a uh, most loving young lady and, and, and died on a four-wheeler accident last week. We don't get that, right? We don't understand that. And what we have to understand is this promise is a promise that is, that is generally true. It's like the promise in Psalm 103, uh, verse 3. It says, the Lord heals all your diseases, and yet some believers are not healed. Otherwise, none would ever die, Right? We, we get that. Uh, yes, some live longer than others, but the truth is we all will die because of this, the sin of death uh, that comes in our world. Uh, the same principle we see in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter, uh, well, in Proverbs where Solomon said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's a general pattern, but we all know 
there are exceptions. We know there's kids that do choose to depart. But here's the principle. The, the, the general principle is those who obey will receive blessing. And the general pattern is true that life will work best for you and for our children when we learn to honor our parents. This is the gift of God's grace to us. The promise of longevity that comes to this, uh, that we see in this command was originally given to the nation in a covenant relationship with God. He said, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But rather than a lengthened life expand for each individual, it's a command that uh, guarantees the well-being of the nation. So what is not promised is that any child who obeys their parents is going to live to be 100 years old. But what is promised? Paul shed light on this in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. And this is a familiar passage, but he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because this is right. Honor your father and mother, quoting directly from this command. And he adds, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. Obedience brings blessing. He's stating a principle. When children obey their parents, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten their lives. Warren Worsby reminds us, but life is not measured only by the quantity of time. It is also measured by the quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. So God is saying to his people, the people that had been delivered from this bondage in Egypt, and he's saying to us today, the life that flourishes, the life that will reflect the glory of God is a life that is lived in honoring father and mother. And by extension, once we learn to honor the people that God's put most closely in our life, then we learn to honor every human being that God puts in our life. By that, we show respect. We show dignity. We show value to the people he puts in our life. And what will result from this? Well, I want to just give you four applications, four ways this will play out in your life and my life. And first of all, you will have a flourishing life. When we have a relationship with God because of the grace that he's shown to us through Jesus Christ, when we've accepted that gift into our lives and we've accepted his forgiveness for our sins, we live a life of peace. We live a life of joy. We live a life of contentment. We live a life of meaning and purpose. And notice what I did not say. We don't live a life without problems. We don't live a life without struggle. We don't live lives without suffering on this earth because that's part of our existence. But this is what we do know, that in the midst of struggle and suffering and trials and difficulties, we will have a life that is characterized by peace and joy and hope in the midst of it. And if we're living that life because of the relationship we have with the Father, because we've honored Him and we've received His gift of grace, then what happens in our families? We'll have flourishing homes, right? Because 
a mother and a dad who are living a flourishing life with Christ, a living relationship with Him, will have the capacity to love their children, even when they're disobedient, even when they're a pain, <laughs> even when they take every last uh, ounce of energy you have. And they also teach those children what it means to love each other if they're siblings or to love their parents or to love their grandparents and how to love their neighbors. And children would learn what it means to honor others who are made in the image of God. And guess what? When families are flourishing because they have this relationship of honor based on the relationship with God, then the church will begin to flourish. And when I say the church will flourish, I'm not talking about the size of the church. There are churches small in size regarding the numbers of people. There are churches large in size, but that's not the characteristic of a flourishing church. In fact, there are churches that are large that are very unhealthy. Uh, cancer grows, right? In fact, cancer sometimes grows fast, but that's not a healthy growth. So we're not just talking about numbers. What we're talking about is a church that is relationally and spiritually healthy. A church that loves God and truly loves each other, accepts each other, prays for each other, encourages each other, lifts up each other. That's the kind of church that flourishes. And when we have churches that are flourishing, the potential is we can begin to see communities that flourish as well. Because guess what? As we grow in that relationship in our families, and then we bring that into the church, and we learn how to love each other, and respect each other, and honor each other, then that should flow into our kids when they go to school, our teachers when they go and teach in school, our our employees that, that work for employers and employers who have that same flourishing and they treat their employees with respect and dignity and then it should overflow in our government. It's been said many times that the hope for America does not lie in the White House and it does not. I don't care who is in the White House. That's not our hope. And literally it's not first off in the schoolhouse or the church house either. But the hope for our nation starts in my house. It starts in your house. It starts when I have a relationship with God that's growing and flourishing. And by that, I love my wife like Christ loves the church. My wife respects her husband as, 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 as she's taught to. And then we love our children. That's when we begin to see the potential for revival in this nation. Children, you don't honor your parents because you have to. You honor your parents because you get to and because they deserve it. They gave you life. We honor God not because we have to, but because He is the source of our life. He is the reason we exist. He is the reason not just that we exist, but that we have forgiveness and joy and peace and we have eternal life. And therefore, it's natural that we just give Him honor and glory. And that's how God wants it to be in our families too. He wants as we seek Him, and as we have this relationship with Him, that we extend that, that we purposely love each other. Is it easy? Not a lot of times it's not. Is it always fun? No, sometimes it's not. But does it bring about a flourishing? Yes, it does. So I just want to encourage you, moms, dads, children, grandparents this morning, 
to take this command and say, God, what do you want to teach me from this? How am I doing loving those you've put in my life? How am I doing loving my children? Children, how are you doing honoring your parents? It's not always the fun thing to do. Curfews are never fun. In fact, I remember my mom and dad setting a curfew for me. And all of my friends got to stay out to 12. And I had to be home at 10. And I thought they were the meanest parents in the world. But you know what? I saw a few years later that that curfew protected me from getting into some trouble that my friends got into that forever impacted their life. And that's the intention of this command. It's not to restrict us, but to give us not immediate freedom necessarily, but ultimate freedom. So I want to pray with you this morning. And if there's a prayer concern you have, uh, you want to talk to someone about a relationship and you just say, I just need prayer for this relationship. Or most importantly, if it's just, you know, I want, I'm struggling in my relationship with God. I want to have a close relationship with Him. Would you pray for me? I'll be at the back. There'll be prayer partners there after we uh, sing uh, this wonderful praise to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this command that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for the family that you established and for the potential we have in our families to honor you, to honor each other, and to bring glory to your name. And so help our families to grow healthy, be with mothers and fathers, be with children, Lord. And God, just help us to live out this command in a way that our lives flourish and your church flourishes, and Lord, that spills out into our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.